Today on the Matt Wall Show, the media has spent years celebrating the public school that LeBron James founded in Ohio. It's a school based around the principles of equity, and now we know that it is also an abysmal failure. But what does that teach us about our society's approach to education in general? We'll discuss that. Also, over 100 students in New York City identify as some kind of non-male, non-female alien species. And some lawmakers are starting to think twice about legalizing weed everywhere. A drag queen ends up on top of the Christian music charts, and I am forced to utterly destroy Ben Shapiro with facts and logic. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. We are days away from the Durban Accords, the greatest threat to the U.S. dollar's global dominance in the past 80 years. On August 22nd, the BRICS nations are expected to announce the launch of a new international super currency fully backed by gold or other commodities. This is part of their long-term plan to supplant the U.S. and the dollar as the cornerstone of the global financial system. You can protect your IRA or 401k from the fallout from this landmark announcement by diversifying with gold from Birch Gold. Historically, gold has been a safe haven in times of high uncertainty, which is right now. Unfortunately, when currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. How much more time does a dollar have? Ask yourself that. Well, you can protect your savings with gold. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Thousands of happy customers. Find out why by texting Walsh to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. If a central bank digital currency becomes a reality, it'll be nice to have some gold to depend on. Again, text Walsh to 989898. There was a time way back in another era when the goal of the education system was to educate students. And back in those days, the goal was pursued through a merit-based approach. Kids were graded and ranked based on their performance. High-performing students were advanced on. Low-performing students were held back. Well-behaved students were rewarded. Poorly-behaved students were punished. That was the general idea. But this strategy has fallen out of favor in recent years. It was too mean, we were told, and racist too, somehow. Piece by piece, the system of Merit-based education in public schools was dismantled until finally there was nothing less left. And into that gap came equity to replace it. What does equity mean exactly? Well, that's a question you'll never get a real answer to. But in this case, we know what equity means from a practical perspective. It means spending more money for worse schools. It also means creating new schools from the ground up because the only way to guarantee that you're not perpetuating white supremacy is to start from scratch. One of these new non-racist schools was founded five years ago in Akron, Ohio, with help from NBA all-star LeBron James. This was a big deal, we were assured at the time. NBC News was on the scene when the school launched. Watch. Good morning. Welcome. Kids arrive for the first day of school today in Ohio as a new approach to fix an old problem takes center court, led by someone who knows their stories more than they could imagine. I know exactly what these 240 kids are going through. Um, I know the streets that they walk. I know the trials and tribulations that they go through because I've been there. Which is why NBA superstar LeBron James and his foundation are opening this school in Akron for at-risk third and fourth graders who struggle both in school and at home. The most important thing that we can give them is structure, and a sense of they just want someone to feel like they like we care. I Promise is a public non-charter school. It offers an innovative approach, a longer class day, and a longer school year, and provides support to help kids with trauma. The school will also help parents find a job and have an on-site food pantry for families. Now, NBC News touts this school as a new approach to fix an old problem. The most important thing, LeBron James says, isn't test scores or grades or any objective sense of achievement whatsoever. Instead, the key is giving students, quote, the sense that someone cares about them. That's not really an educational approach at all. It's simply a cliche, not a new one either. But it's one that taxpayers in Ohio have been compelled to fund. As one local news report puts it, quote, the district will pay more than half the cost for the school, perhaps around 75%. That total amounts to nearly $10 million a year charged to taxpayers for this I Promise school. Yet the experiment was well worth the cost, the media reassured us over and over again. You can go back over the past several years and find many, many media reports gushing over LeBron's school, calling for more schools just like it. Maybe we should even make LeBron James the Secretary of Education while we're at it. Why not? NBC News would certainly be on board with that. Just a month ago, they were on the scene again to do a follow-up story on the I Promise school, and they say it's all been a smashing success. Watch. Thank you. 
Five years ago, NBA superstar LeBron James opened the I Promise School in his hometown of Akron, Ohio. The goal, to give at-risk youth a place to learn and feel supported. Now I understand the mental state that goes in with these kids and where they come from. About 1,600 students have attended the school, which demands that its students promise to always do their best and make healthy choices. It's up to us as the mentors and everybody in place to help them to get to that point. That's what kids want to know. Do you care about me? And, um, and we do here. Proof of that, every graduate receives a college scholarship. Now, to recap, 1,600 students have attended the school. They promise to make healthy choices. Uh, LeBron James cares about them, etc. All sounds pretty good. But wait a minute, NBC News. How are the students actually performing in the classroom? That bit of information was left out of the report, which seems a little odd. I mean, wasn't the whole point of the school to help these children? Just a month later, now we know exactly why NBC News overlooked that little detail. A, a new piece in the Akron uh, Beacon Journal reports that, quote, this fall's class of eighth graders at the I Promise School hasn't had a single student pass the state's math test since the group was in the third grade. Now to restate, they haven't had a single student in the eighth grade class pass the state math test since they started at the school in the third grade five years ago. That is not encouraging. And to be honest, it's a little surprising because not all that long ago, the school claimed in a documentary that its students do extremely well on mandatory proficiency tests, including the so-called MAP standardized tests. So here are some clips from uh, that documentary in chronological order. It's from YouTube Originals. It's an hour and a half long, talking about how great the school is. It's got three million views on YouTube. See what impression you come away with when you watch this. Watch. The true test of our We Are Family approach will be when our students take the MAP test. MAP stands for Measures of Academic Progress. Our third graders have to pass the MAP test in order for them to move on to fourth grade. Since most of our kids started a year and a half or more below grade level, we have some work to do. They need to make more than one year's growth by March. If you don't pass the test, then you just have to stay in third grade. And then you do it all over again. That's the last thing that a kid wants to happen to them, is them to get held back. That is, that is a very embarrassing thing, and it can play with your emotions, it can play with your psyche, your confidence. Good morning, Team IPS. We are going to take our last administration of the MAP assessment. We've been working so hard since the beginning of the year. That day, Michelle FaceTiming. She was like, are you sitting down? She never FaceTimed me, by the way. And I was like, oh, no, what happened? One of our kids, please don't tell me something happened. One of our kids, she was like, our test scores just came back, and our kids just completely destroyed them. The same kids a few months ago that was like in the lower, lower, lower percentile in everything. What? What? Good question. The students destroyed the standardized test, LeBron James says. Uh, later in the film, a thrilled administrator says that the students were at the 25th percentile and below, but that now 91% of students are meeting their goals. And they're all very happy about this. But if you parse what they're saying carefully, it sounds like an apples to oranges comparison. The administrator makes it sound like the students were, went from the 25th percentile in the district to the 91st percentile, which would be an extraordinary achievement. But in fact, the 91% number just refers to students who are meeting their goals, whatever that means and however that's defined. They're presenting the data like this in order to suggest falsely that their new method of education was working and specifically enhancing these test scores. But in fact, it was doing exactly the opposite. And in a brief moment at the very end of the documentary, we get some confirmation of that. So watch as an official with the school admits that the district is not happy with the student's performance. Students can either make progress in growth or achievement or both. Growth is just that year and a half or more from the beginning of the school year. Achievement is whether they're on grade level. On growth, we were in the 99th percentile, but achievement on our state report card, we got an F. The overall percentage of students who made their grade level markers was too low to warrant anything other than an F. You know, we're not there yet. So if you're following all this, there's all this celebration from LeBron James and all the taxpayer-funded administrators about how good the school's 
test results, results are. And then they admit that despite this success, this alleged success, the school has somehow received an F from the district for student achievement. They don't elaborate. They don't tell you that, in fact, zero of the students in one class had ever met their grade level markers for math. That seems like a significant discrepancy, one that the media and taxpayers in Akron would be very interested in. And yet um, none of the media outlets that have fluffed this school in the past few years have bothered to cover it. That documentary we just showed you has been out for almost two years. NBC News must have missed it. The truth is that corporate media didn't want to look too deep into the data because it's not just bad, it's terrible. And it keeps getting worse the more you read it. As the Albany Beacon Journal reports, the, uh, the English scores for the eighth graders were not much better than the math numbers. Quote, when the school's first class of eighth graders graduated from I Promise, just 11% of them tested proficient on the state English language arts test. The article goes on, two of I Promise's biggest subgroups of students, black students and those with disabilities, are now testing in the bottom 5% in the state, landing the school on the Ohio Department of Education's list of those requiring targeted intervention. Now, you often hear the counter-argument that this is a school for troubled children, so of course their scores are going to be low. That doesn't exactly explain why the scores are going backwards. According to the data, quote, last year, sixth graders lost ground. When they were in fifth grade, 7% were proficient on the reading test, and sixth grade, just 2% were. Now, the point here is not to gloat over the failure of this experiment. In some ways, it's a noble effort. Admittedly, I'm not a fan of LeBron James personally, I'll be the first to admit that. Uh, he's a woke virtue signaler to such a degree that he pretends to read books about Malcolm X. You've probably seen this clip before, but honestly, it's just too good to not share again. Uh, here it is. Uh, Taylor, you want to follow up? Yeah. Um, so you're holding the autobiography of Malcolm X along with Alex Haley. I don't know how far you are into the book, but what's your biggest takeaway so far? Um, I kind of just started a couple of days ago, um, but um, I've read a lot of a lot of notes over the years. Um, it's my first time actually reading this from start to finish. Um, but just a very um, very smart man, very 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 smart man. And basically, um, his words in the in the sixties and, uh, and what was going on is actually what's going on today still. That's the guy who's going to reinvent our nation's educational system with his bold new approach. The guy who is still failing his book reports at the age of 38. Now, even if it's kind of funny to have a school run by a guy who pretends to read books, and even if, aside from that, LeBron James is a reckless liar who regularly promotes BLM propaganda, slanders police officers, etc., um, I can still respect a rich celebrity athlete at least attempting to do something productive, which is more than what most of them will do. But the reason for the school's failure is what's instructive here. According to the accepted narrative, kids from, quote, marginalized groups struggle in schools, especially inner city schools, because of systemic racism and a lack of funding, two issues that we're told are very related. So here's a school founded by a wealthy black man with an extraordinary amount of funding, both from taxpayers and LeBron's foundation, a school where everybody gets free lunch and they have access to all of the state-of-the-art educational tools and all the computers and everything. And they're, they're teaching based on STEM and they're doing all this and everyone graduates with a scholarship and so on. Yet the, the kids are still failing. I mean, when it comes to math, literally all of them are failing in eighth grade anyway. In fact, they seem to be doing worse than they would in one of those allegedly underfunded schools where the vestiges of systemic racism are still allegedly present. And we have data on that. The way that um, I Promise Select Students is via a lottery in which students who place in the bottom 25% of test scores in the district are eligible. But if you compare the I Promise students with kids in the bottom 25% in the district who did not attend the school, the kids who didn't attend are doing better by most metrics. Now, this tells us a few things. All of them are forbidden truths. The most important is that all of the funding and all of the inspirational platitudes in the world cannot make up for broken families and bad culture. Poor black kids come from both of those things, and the two are obviously related. You will not be able to measurably improve any aspect of life for these kids, especially their educational performance, 
without addressing the fact that the culture they come from is deeply sick and their families are in absolute disarray. Just talk to any teacher who ex- has experience trying to teach these so-called, quote-unquote, marginalized groups. Very often, uh, the teachers will tell you that their behavior and attitude in class, it's not just bad. It's like appalling. It's abominable. These kids who have not received any kind of intellectual or moral formation at home or in their communities. In many cases, their parents do not care about their education or about anything. The culture they're brought up in encourages them to act in outrageous ways and reject and disrespect all authority. That's the fact of the matter. That's the problem. That's how you end up with kids in the eighth grade who all of them can't even do math. Now, LeBron James can't solve all of those problems on his own, of course, but he could start by at least acknowledging them and talking about them, but he won't even do that. As always, the left seeks to solve problems without addressing the underlying fundamental issues. It's like their genius plans to solve homelessness by putting the homeless in hotels or giving them free housing. Well, you can give a a homeless guy a room at the Ritz-Carlton, and the place will look like a garbage dump within the span of three hours. And then he'll be right back out on the street. That's because the homeless guy's problem isn't that he doesn't have a home. Any halfway competent and sober person can manage to find some kind of housing. Okay? If you're sober and halfway competent, you're not going to end up sleeping on a box on the street corner. You just won't. His problem isn't a lack of housing. It's that he's a drug addict or psychotic or both. So it would be one thing if some coherent principle was at play here, but there's nothing coherent about any of this. Consider that the left solution to education and homelessness is to throw money at the problem, but their solution to law enforcement is to do exactly the opposite. So somehow the education system will improve if you give more money, but the justice system will improve if you give it less money. How does that make sense? You'll never see any contemplation from this on the left. Uh, Instead, they'll continue to push the most destructive policies imaginable, only to backtrack when the consequences of their destruction are too obvious to deny, which is happening right now in Oakland, by the way. The president of the NAACP's Oakland chapter just announced that, quote, failed leadership, including the movement to defund the police, our district attorney's unwillingness to charge and prosecute people who murder and commit life-threatening serious crimes, and the proliferation of anti-police rhetoric have created a heyday for Oakland criminals. Oh, you think? Congratulations, NAACP. You finally realized that crime is bad. A stunning revelation. But of course, they are also incapable of tracing the problem down to its roots. The NAACP supports BLM's insanity when it gave them power, and now they're against it because it embarrasses them. That's all there is to it. What happens next when it comes to education? It's possible that uh, once these people are sufficiently embarrassed by what they've done to public schools in this country, they'll stop experiments like the one that's going on in Ohio right now. But by that point, as if by design, it'll be far too late. LeBron James will have moved on. The children won't have that luxury. They'll be uneducated, poor, and totally dependent on the government that pretended to care about them. Most people would call that a disaster. But our leaders have another name for it. They call it equity. Now let's get to our five headlines. Companies are strong arming their customers to support abortion, canceling customers for their political views, and making a mockery of women by supporting transgender models. No government agency, institution, or company is allowed to just be what it is and focus on fulfilling the tasks that it was made to fulfill. A beer company can't just make beer anymore. Their primary concern is not with brewing and distributing beer, but with showing their support of the left's political and cultural agenda, well, Public Square offers a new solution. Public Square is an app and website where you can get connected to tens of thousands of businesses from all different industries that share your value for life, family, and freedom. Public Square also offers discounts to many high-profile businesses on uh, on platforms that you can actually have an incentive to spend money with because the companies don't hate you. Well, whether you're looking for a new athletic clothing that knows what a woman is, a banking partner you can count on, or simply a new restaurant in your area that won't lecture you about your political views as you're trying to enjoy a meal with your family, head over to publicsq.com. Public Square is free to join as a consumer or a business owner. You can get started at publicsq.com or download their app today. That's publicsq.com. 
Well, since we've been talking about disastrous uh, public school system, um, why not stay on that theme as we get into the five headlines? The Daily Wire reports New York City began allowing children to identify as X in their official public school records last year, and data reportedly shows more than 100 children took advantage of the new gender designation of X, uh, which is also the name of Twitter now, by the way, so they're identifying as Twitter, I suppose. A total of 108 students in the nation's largest public school district had their gender listed as X instead of male or female in the first year uh, that the option was available for students claiming a non-binary or gender-fluid identity, according to Chalkbeat. The X-gender students are just 0.1% of New York City's 1.1 million public school students, but the numbers are expected to grow since the number of children who identify as something other than their biological gender is also growing. X, uh, this is from the uh, city's education department's um, gender change request form. It says, X, neither male nor female. My student does not identify as male or female. For example, identifies as non-binary, gender expansive, or gender fluid. So this is something that, um, that you can fill out for your child if your child is neither male nor female. Now, people who are, who are invested in pretending that there is not a diabolical social contagion gripping hold of the youngest generation causing a mass identity crisis, the likes of which human society has never seen. The people who, are, who, are, who want to pretend that none of that is the case will glom on to the fact that this is only, only 0.01% of the students in New York City schools, right? It's only 100 kids, 108 kids, whatever it was. But consider a few things. First of all, this does not count the kids who identify as trans, because they would check, you know, male or female. They would check the opposite sex of what they actually are. They identify as male or female. That's what it means to be trans, is that you think you're uh, a female when you're really a male or vice versa. So that's a whole category that is not included in that 108 number. And that is by far the more prevalent category right now. Are Now, eventually it'll flip. You know, right now, the majority of kids who are um, confused about their gender will claim to be trans and then a minority of that group will, will claim non-binary status. Non-binary is growing, and I would say it's growing at a faster rate than trans is among the younger generation. So eventually that'll flip. But right now, that's a whole big chunk that's not included in that 108. And also keep in mind, too, that this is a change that is made by the parents. So only kids who have talked to their parents and asked their parents to do this and have parents who would agree are included. Now, of all the kids in a public school system in New York who go around claiming to be non-binary, how many of them would then go to their parents and ask their parents to fill out a form? And of that group, how many have parents who will actually do it? So that's what is represented here. It's like a minority of a minority of the overall picture and the overall problem. Um, and so when you consider it that way, this is really a, a stagger, 108 is a staggering number, especially considering that when I went to school 20 years ago, you would not have found 108 kids in the entire country who fit this bill. Okay. This is 108 kids in one school district who think that they are some kind of non-male, non-female alien space creature and who have parents who will play along. 108 in one area of the country is a, a, a catastrophic number. Again, staggering. Like, imagine if there were 108 kids who said that they were dogs or chickens. It's exactly the same kind of thing. You know, because if you identify as non-binary, you are identifying as non-human though you aren't, in fairness, identifying as a dog or a chicken because they have, you know, dogs and chickens are male or female. So, so actually, it would be better. It would be more encouraging. It would be a better situation if you had 108 kids who said they were dogs. It is less crazy to pretend to be a dog than it is to pretend to be non-binary. Because non-binary is a category of life form that doesn't exist unless we're talking about, like, amoebas, Okay, so you, you are identifying as an amoeba, as some kind of single cell organism, which is the real story here. That 108 students in New York City schools identify apparently as self-replicating amoebas. 
because that's that's where you got to go if you want to find uh, t- creatures on this planet that are neither male nor female, where the category does not pertain. Now you're down to the single cell organism level. Um, that that's how that's how crazy it is, which is why, as I, as I'm, I'm always having to point out, we talk about the slippery slope, and uh, you know I use the expression too. Sometimes, for lack of a better term, just because it kind of everybody knows what you mean, and, and and there is, there's a lot of truth to the slippery slope idea. Um, that our as our culture pr- progressively decays, but at the same time, it's it's not exactly right. You know, it doesn't quite capture what's actually happening in our culture. In fact, it makes the situation seem better than it is because a slippery slope scenario. You know, you you, you everything is basically normal. And then you start with one thing that's a little bit crazy, and then that leads to the next thing that's a little bit more crazy, and then on and on and on as we go down the slope, right? But what we have done is we've skipped all of those less crazy steps and gone all the way to the most crazy thing. And then when we start covering some of those things that are less crazy, we say, oh, now we're on the slippery slope. No, now we're kind of like climbing back up the slippery slope to cover the things that we skipped. That's what's happening. So we'll probably talk about this tomorrow because NBC News uh, has a report, I believe it's NBC, has a report about um, kids on TikTok who are identifying as other races and who think that they can transition to another race. And that's another thing where, where you'll often hear on the right, oh, there's slippery slopes. See, first we allow uh, people to identify as another gender and now they're identifying as another race. That's not slippery slope because identifying as a different race is a lot less crazy than identifying as another gender. Still crazy, right? But it's it's not nearly as bad. So when it comes to identifying as something other than what you are, um, your sex, that's that's the most insane, the most outrageous, uh, the most impossible version of that. Identifying as another race is not identifying as another race, identifying as another age, I mean, whatever. Um, all of that, all that is crazy. All of that is wrong. All of that is stuff we should not affirm. None of that is as bad as affirming a male as a female. Uh, And it's the same thing here. So we talk about, you know, uh, eventually we're going to have kids that are identifying as other species. And that's already happening, you know. And we we tend to look at that as the, as the, the, the next step. But what I'm trying to explain here is that the non-binary thing, which is fully taken hold, and it's now like a mainstream idea. That is much more insane, actually, than identifying as another species. Because at least if you identify as a cow, you're identifying as something that exists. Um, but a human being that is neither male or female, that, that doesn't exist. That's just a con. That's a, that's a fanciful. That, that's like, it's more like identifying as a dragon or something or a unicorn. It's like you're identifying as a mythological creature is what you are, is what you're doing. So that's where we are on the, uh, on the slippery slope. We're, we're now in the process of, of, of going back and covering those bases that we skipped. And then once we've done that, then we can continue on down the slope, you see. Um, Fox News has this report. Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky has announced an official criminal referral to the Department of Justice with regard to Dr. Anthony Fauci. Paul pointed to an email from February 2020 in which Fauci detailed a call with British medical researcher Jeremy Farrar, who was director of the Wellcome Trust at the time. According to Fauci, those on the task force call, including Francis Collins, former director of the National Human Genome Research Institute, and other highly credible scientists, quote-unquote highly credible, with expertise in evolutionary biology, expressed concern about the fact, upon viewing the sequences of several isolates of the NCOV, that there were mutations in the virus that would be most unusual to have evolved naturally in the bat's and that there was a suspicion that this mutation was intentionally inserted. Quote, the suspicion was heightened by the fact that scientists in Wuhan University are known to have been working on a gain-of-function experiments to determine the molecular mechanisms associated with bat viruses adapting to human infection, and the outbreak originated in Wuhan. This is according to Fauci uh, in these emails that, were, uh, that have now been released. Paul uh, wrote on Twitter, quote, This directly contradicts everything that Fauci said in committee hearing to me, denying absolutely that they funded any gain of function, and it's absolutely a lie. That's why I sent an official criminal referral to the DOJ. Now, the criminal referral is great. You know, it's not going to go anywhere, of course, right now, but it's a good start. 
Um, can it go somewhere in the future? Well, that goes to the question of what Republicans will do if they gain power, which is a big if. Um, and I think this is this is another one of those things that that you you it could all boil down to this for you in the primary. If you're trying to figure out who should I support in the primary and how should I make sense of this, ask yourself which of these candidates do I believe would actually have the gumption to arrest and prosecute Fauci? We all seem to agree on the right anyway. I mean, every Republican, if you were to take a poll of Republicans, I'm sure this has been done. Take a poll of Republicans. Uh, how many of them believe that, it, that uh, Anthony Fauci should be arrested and prosecuted? And it's going to be overwhelming support for that idea, as there should be. Well, of the candidates, who would actually do it? Um, that's the question we need to ask. And this could be a single issue type of thing. You know, I've said that, that I'm a single issue voter in the primaries and the single issue is whether the candidate will win the general or can, what's the candidate that's most likely to win in the general? That's all you really need to think about because nothing else matters if you don't win. If you don't actually become the president, then all the rest of this stuff doesn't matter. Winning the primary and then losing in humiliating fashion to a senile 82-year-old Biden is not any kind of moral victory. I mean, it's the opposite of moral victory. It's an actual loss and it's a moral loss too. So that should really be the single issue. But you could also ask yourself this question, which candidate do I believe would really truly go in and arrest and prosecute somebody like Fauci? I mean, who's going to, not just Fauci, who's going to hold people accountable for everything that happened during uh, during uh, COVID and the lockdowns? And who, who's actually going to do that? Who can I see aggressively draining the swamp in this way? Somebody with the know-how, the follow-through, the competence, the focus to get it done. I think either of these questions will uh, get you to the answer of who should have your support in the primaries. All right, New York Post has this report. Cardi B hurled her microphone at an unruly concert goer who launched a drink at the rapper during a performance in Las Vegas on Saturday, becoming the latest artist to have an, an object thrown at them while on stage. The New York native had been performing Bodak Yellow at uh, Dry's Beach Club in Las Vegas when a fan raised a white decorated cup and tossed liquid in the 30-year-old rapper's direction. The rapper at first was startled and visibly in disbelief and then uh, started to, and then decided to throw the microphone at the woman. Now, I don't care about this story, and you shouldn't either, but I do want to play the video because there's one aspect of this video that's kind of funny, so let's, let's play it. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> the only thing you need to notice from this is how the vocals keep going after she throws the microphone. So apparently Cardi B, I don't know if this is a ventriloquist trick or something that she throws the microphone and her voice at the same time. That'd be a great trick. I mean, that's a trick you should take on America's Got Talent. That's, that's, that's something. Um, so either that or she's lip syncing on stage, which of course is exactly what she's doing. Now, this will come as a shock to some younger people out there. But did you know that it used to be a huge scandal when musical artists were caught lip syncing? This was like a big deal. Yeah, entire careers were ruined because of it. This had Millie Vanilli. More recently, Ashley Simpson. You know, it's back, I don't know when that was. Was that 10 years ago or something? So Millie Vanilli and Ashley Simpson, they could have gone on to become the greatest artists of our time. They had that in them. I, I believe it. I do. Uh, who knows? Anyway. But their careers were destroyed when it came out that they were lip syncing. And But these days, it doesn't even make a dent. You know, all these people are lip syncing all the time, and nobody cares. It's like it doesn't just, far from destroying their career. It doesn't even, nobody cares. It doesn't matter. Um, that was uh, for Ashley Simpson, is Jessica Simpson's uh, uh, sister, right? Je well, and you don't know who that is either if you're a certain age. But uh, anyway, she was, a, I think it was, she, was, she was performing on Saturday Night Live, and the track skipped or something, and, and she kept singing, and you could tell that there was, that she wasn't, or the track cut off, and then you could tell that she was lip syncing. That's what happened. And that was an infamous, it was an infamous video. It was a big, I mean, I'm telling you, it was a big deal. Everybody cared about it. There's a, the president did a press conference. Everything was a whole big thing. The UN was talking about, it, it was a big deal at the time. Um, 
and, and yet in this video, you have the artist throw her microphone in the middle of the set while the track continues, which by all rights should be a much more infamous video, and yet it won't be. Uh, because all of these pop stars and rappers and whatever, they all lip sync. Uh, you go to their concert and you might as well be listening to somebody play their Spotify playlist from their phones. That's what you're doing. It's like you go to a concert and you might, you might as well just have someone hook their phone up and hit play on the Spotify playlist. And then you just sit there and watch it because that's all that's happening. None of it is real. Even the voices aren't real because it's all auto-tuned. And it's all fixed with computers now. So nothing is real. And nobody cares. And I, I think it's because back uh, even 10 or 15 years ago, and certainly 20 or 30 years ago, there was still some kind of demand for authenticity. You know, people cared about authenticity. And you wanted at least you wanted at least the you, you wanted at least the the illusion of authenticity. But now there's no demand for authenticity anymore. Nobody cares if anything is real. Like not everything is fake, and and everybody's accustomed to it and used to it, especially younger people. And so it doesn't matter. It it doesn't uh, doesn't get any attention anymore, which is unfortunate. Maybe part of the reason for that is that everybody's high. You know, everybody's stoned all the time. New York Post has this article. A pair of GOP state lawmakers are pushing to ban public pot puffing in a uh, long-shot effort to clear the air of pungent clouds of funky smoke. State Senator uh, George Borello from upstate Jamestown joined Brooklyn Assemblyman Michael um, Novikov this week to sponsor a bill that would prohibit the public use of cannabis unless a city or town specifically permits it. Novikov, a freshman Republican who won an upset victory in 2022 in a district uh, centered on Gravesend, introduced the measure back in May and modeled it on existing laws banning the open consumption of alcohol. And so that's what they're trying to do here. Uh, it, it's, it probably is not going to happen. Uh, yet there has been, even as the article notes, Mayor Adams in New York has complained about the inescapable odor of, uh, of marijuana now. And that's the case in New York City. I mean, it's de- in New York City, it's just everywhere. You go to New York City, and everything smells like pot all the time. Everywhere you go, it smells like pot. And that is that, but that's also the case in every big city that I've been. I've been to a lot of cities over the last year or two. Uh, certainly since they started legalizing this stuff everywhere or decriminalizing whatever their approach has been. And it's just everything, everywhere you go, it reeks of weed. It, it just smells like, it smells like uh, you know, living you know, in, in the country in the past. I'm, I'm, you get familiar with the smell of a, of a skunk wafting in the air, roadkill, but every once in a while. Now it just smells like skunks have been run over everywhere you go. And any, if I ever happen to be walking with my kids uh, in, in, a, in a city, which I don't do often, but on occasion, and they smell it, it, something like that, they'll always say, oh, there's a skunk, skunk muscle. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's a lot of skunks around here. And that's what that is. And it's just everywhere. And this just goes to show it's one of the, um, one example, like a relatively small example but that, that, that goes to show why it was all a lie. You know, they said that, well, we legalize pot. It doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't hurt you. Yeah, it's not going to be a problem for you. Just let people smoke pot if they want. Though they forgot to mention that. It's like, now you got to smell it everywhere you go. Now, if you live in these cities, it's just your whole life now. You're smelling this disgusting smell. Part of the reason why they banned, like, you can't smoke cigarettes any, anywhere anymore. You know, it's, they, they have, maybe they'll set aside one little area, like, for cigarette smokers to go stand. It's like a little circle off somewhere, you know, way away from any buildings or anything. And you see them, it's very sad. You see them out there, uh, the cigarette smokers um, out. If it's, it's five degrees out and they're all huddled together, you know, in their little circle smoking. People walk by and throw tomatoes at them. Smoke cigarettes, you disgusting filth, you animals. That's what people do to the cigarette smokers because they are they're not even human, basically. They're, they are, they are, they are second-class citizens. If you still smoke cigarettes, that's how it's treated. And one of the big reasons why we did that was because nobody wanted to smell the smoke, smell the cigarettes. Now, it never bothered me. Nobody ever polled me. If I have to choose between cigarette smoke and uh, pot smoke, I mean, personally, I'd rather have the cigarette smoke, honestly. But that's that's why we did. We we, we just we we said we don't want to smell it. And then we went back around and replaced it with pot and said, well, yeah, you can smoke that anywhere. Just let everyone smell that. And it's not just the smell either. You know, it's, it's, it's the smell, but it's also just the general, like everybody is high all the time now. 
So it's this general malaise. It's this kind of dreary, apathetic, which we, we already had that in our culture before everyone was smoking pot publicly, and now it's even worse. So it's in, in many ways, it's like the last thing we needed. In hindsight, legalizing pot is kind of like the last thing we, you re- we really needed in this culture, where apathy is already, indifference is already probably our number one cultural problem. And then you add this into it, and it just makes it a lot worse. Um, that's the other thing with cigarettes, at least nicotine, you know, and I'm not recommending it, but uh, nicotine, it makes you sharper. It kind of gives you a little bit of an edge. It kind of wakes you up a little bit. Uh, it helps you focus. You know, that's, that's what it does. Pot has the opposite effect. And everybody is high all the time. And it just smells like pot. Then you, you mix in the fecal matter in the air too. And it's like this disgusting combination. It smells like a, it smells like a, a yeah, it smells like a skunk not just a skunk run, but the, with their with their innards pouring out because then you that's how you that's that with the fecal matter in all the cities together that's what all the smell is in every single city and it's disgusting. Um, all right, I've had this for two days. Do we have time? Not really, but we're going to do it anyway. Uh, before we get to our comments today, I I, I have to do something. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have a lot of time for it, but I I have to destroy uh, Ben Shapiro with facts and logic. Um, last week on his show, he talked about the UFO hearings on Capitol Hill, and he had, he had exactly the same kind of dismissive attitude that you would expect. And it's the same attitude that everybody here at DW has, except me. Um, and originally, I'd planned to go through in great detail and dissect everything that he said about this. And we're not going to do that. Instead, I just want to call attention to, to two brief parts of Ben's offensive and outrageous attack on the alien-believing community, ABC. And uh, I think we have those clips. Let's play the first one. Alrighty, folks, Congress is so effective that they have time to spare. And now they're having a hearing about UFOs. There was a big hearing on the Hill about UFOs. Now, you may ask, why am I covering this so far into the show? Wouldn't that be like the number one news? No, because it's bullcrap. Okay, I'm just going to put out there right now. There are no aliens on planet Earth other than perhaps Bernie Sanders. There are no aliens, okay? There may be in the universe. They haven't found us yet. Okay, so first of all, Bernie Sanders is not an alien. He's like some kind of undead. He's like a zombie. He's an undead kind of uh, thing that came out of the ground or they dug out of the ground like an orc. But you are admitting, Ben, to begin with, and this you always hear this. I, I love when they, saying the quiet part out loud. Okay, this is, and you'll you'll always hear this, and usually it's it's a little bit more uh, subliminal. But here he's coming out and saying, admitting the preconceived biases up front admitting that he rules out the possibility that any aliens could have visited Earth before looking at the evidence. So what does that mean? It means that there's no evidence at all that could possibly convince him. So then what, what credibility does his point of view have on this subject? If you are saying from the beginning, you know, if I come to you and I say, I have evidence that aliens have visited Earth. I have evidence. And you say to me, doesn't matter what your evidence is. I don't believe it. I already don't believe it. Well, okay. That, see, when I show you the evidence and then you say, yeah, that's not convincing. Well, you were already committed to that response. You were openly committed to that response before you looked at it. So your response to the evidence is meaningless. Um, as opposed to my approach, which is very open-minded. Now, yes, am I certain that aliens exist? Yes. Am I certain they've been to Earth? Yes, but I'm, I'm also, I'm open, I'm open, okay? I will listen to the arguments and I will respond to them. Um, so I have the much more open-minded uh, and, dare I say, tolerant, um, and I would even say enlightened perspective on this subject than Ben Shapiro does. But here's where we really get, to get down to it is with the next clip. Watch this. Weird how that keeps happening. How like all of these systems that would provide for the surveillance are they, they always go down just like Bigfoot. So many people have seen Bigfoot, and yet uh, and yet nobody seems to have gotten like a really credible good view of Bigfoot that they can then show. Like we only uh, we're on a planet where everyone has a cell phone, like every single person with camera capabilities, and you're telling me that uh, no one has yet taken credible images of any of this magically. That's just that's just how it works. No, that's not what we're telling you, Ben. That's not what we're telling you. In fact, there are a lot of credible images. This is not like Bigfoot, okay? At this point, I'm convinced that the people here, especially Daily Wire, keep making this Bigfoot comparison. 
They're doing it just to attack me personally. They're doing it just to annoy me personally because this, the comparison, in fact, the comparison only proves why the alien stories are more credible. Because yes, with Bigfoot, if you've got this race of ape-like men who live in the woods in North America, they're in your backyard practically, uh, and they've been there for forever, you, you'd think that there'd be some kind of compelling video footage, photograph, uh, physical evidence, something, and none of that exists. So that's enough to tell you that, that the whole story is bogus. With aliens, first of all, you wouldn't even expect as much compelling evidence because these are creatures that live uh, many light years away, and if they visit, they're, they're 50,000 feet in the sky traveling at the speed of sound, Okay, whereas the Bigfoot is this big hairy thing lumbering along, and so there's a lot of opportunity to grab your phone. And you could, the Bigfoot's walking by, you could grab your phone, your phone could be off, and you can say, oh crap, I gotta turn it on. And you take the time to turn it on, you pull the camera up, and Bigfoot's still there, because he's so slow and fat and dumb. But with, with, with the UFO, you blink and you miss it. And so there's not, most of the time, there's not enough time to even pull your phone out, because the thing's traveling so fast. And yet, in spite of those obstacles, still we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of photographs, footage that we've seen since the 50s. I mean, there are compelling uh, UFO photos back in the 50s that still have not been debunked. People want to say that they're hoaxes, but many of them still. People have been, uh, you know, experts have been looking at them for decades and haven't been able to debunk them. Um, and so what do you expect? You expect that if, if UFOs have visited... Uh, you would expect that in, you know, back in the mid 20th century when there was, there's photographic technology, but not like it is today, that every once in a while you'd see a good photograph. And then you would expect that today there'd be a lot more. And that's exactly what we see. Okay. It's exactly what we see. And not only do we have, we have cell phone footage, we have radar. Okay. We have data from radar. We have, um, we have videos that Navy pilots have taken where they're where they up in the sky and they're zooming in on a thing that is traveling across the sky and doing things that defy the laws of physics as we understand them. Ben, we have all of this. It's there for you to look at. Okay, but you refuse to look. You're not going to see it if you have your eyes closed. And I think that's the issue here. So your response is, well, if this, if this was really happening, then uh, wouldn't there be, you know, you'd think you'd have uh, pilots that are up in the sky and that they see this stuff and they get footage of it. We do have that. It's there. That's the whole point. That's why we're talking about this. Okay. What's your explanation, Ben? How do you explain? How do you explain what, what we can definitely say are physical objects in the sky doing things that are centuries beyond the technological capabilities of, 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 of our country. So do the Chinese, are they, are, they, are they like 500 years ahead of us with technology? And if they are, why haven't they just simply taken over the whole world by now? Why, why haven't they just done that? Why isn't, the, why isn't it the, the, the whole globe China if they have that kind of technology? Okay, these are questions you can't answer. And you know why the, the real question, Ben, is not whether there is reason to believe, okay? The question is whether you are willing to believe. Are you willing to believe, Ben? That's what you have to ask yourself in your heart. Let's get to the comment section. Daily cancellations are the law and order of the day. The sweet is that dark spot on your face still bothering you? Or what about all those sunspots all over your body? Is that bothering you too? Well, it should, you disgusting freak. Now you can watch them disappear safely and quickly in three quick minutes. GenuCell's dark spot luxury system does exactly what it sounds like. Those annoying dark spots disappear before your very eyes instantly, smoothly, and luxuriously. You'll be amazed at how quickly you'll see results or 100% of your money back guaranteed. Go to GenuCell.com Walsh to order a new dark spot treatment system today and say goodbye to those pesky spots tomorrow. That's GenuCell.com slash Walsh right now and save over 70% on GenuCell's most popular package. That includes this dark spot system. GenuCell.com slash Walsh. Well, it's great to be uh, back in Nashville, back in the studio, ranting about aliens. You know, everything is right in the world again. Everything feels right. It's been, it's been like three months, really, since I've consistently done shows here, but we're back now. I'm excited about it, especially excited to be home uh, after driving about 20 hours 
with my family over the weekend to get back here to Nashville in time to do the show. That's two 10-hour driving days in a row back-to-back with kids. Only other option was to fly with six kids, and that somehow seemed even more hellish. And uh, to make matters worse, I had, as always, my wife in the car uh, publicly shaming me. And I didn't even know she was doing it because I'm busy driving. But she was sitting there, like, transcribing some of the things that I was saying in the car and posting them to Twitter. So here's one of her tweets on Saturday. She said, save me. I'm trapped in the SUV with Matt, who's outraged and rambling about how our children have no idea about the 90s Sesame Street, Bugs Bunny, the Flintstones, Marvin the Martian, Looney Tunes. Apparently he had a VHS with six hours of Looney Tunes on it, and that's all he watched as a kid. I finally asked him why he cared so much, and could he please stop subjecting us all to cartoon characters and storylines, etc. LOL. Update. He's still ranting about, quote, the old days when we made do with what we had. I can't stop laughing. What is he, 85? Well, the answer to your question is yes, I am 85. You knew that when you married me. Here's more context. It was about seven hours into our drive, and I was talking to my 10-year-old daughter who was sitting in the middle row, and it was quiet in the car for the most part because, uh, because the boys in the back had been banned from speaking for 45 minutes because they couldn't stop fighting. And just gives you an idea of how well the car ride was going. So anyway, I happened to mention, I don't remember the context, but I mentioned something to my, to my daughter in passing about Bugs Bunny. And she responded, uh, and I quote, who? So she had never heard of Bugs Bunny in her life, had no idea. So then I start quizzing her about other, you know, famous children's characters, Big Bird, you know, n- nothing on Big Bird, never heard of Big Bird, uh, Popeye, nothing. So it was a travesty. And yeah, you might put the blame on me and say, well, why don't you put Looney Tunes on for your kids? I just assumed that they would absorb that stuff through like osmosis or something in the culture. I didn't, I didn't know you had to deliberately introduce your child to Bugs Bunny. I thought that just happens. Okay, my parents never sat me down and said, yeah, well, uh, Son, you know, there's this character called Bugs Bunny. It's just, you know, he's just there. Bugs, Bugs, Bugs Bunny, you know. And uh, my daughter made it through 10 years of her life and never heard of Bugs Bunny. So that started me on this lengthy monologue about the old cartoons. And, you know, there was real artistry then. They were actually hand-drawn. They were animated. And there was even real, there was like real pain and real suffering in those old cartoons. The classic slapstick humor is the interplay between the absurd and, 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 and suffering. And, you know, I, I was trying to explain this. And I told her how when I was a kid... I had a videotape of Looney Tunes, about six hours of it that we recorded on VHS. And of course, you didn't know what VHS was. I had to explain that. And uh, we watched that tape and we just watched it. Okay. That was what we did on Saturday afternoon, Saturday mornings. We sat, we watched the tape. It was the one tape and that's all we watched. We didn't have Netflix. We couldn't go and select from a thousand different shows. You just put on the tape and you watch the tape. In the morning, someone would say, oh, go grab the tape. And we grabbed, because there was the tape, and we just watched the tape, and that's what we did, okay? That's what we did back in those days. I tried to explain this. It was a whole thing. Um, and the great thing is that my boys had to just sit and listen on account of the talking ban that had been imposed on them. Uh, so it was a good drive, educational for the kids and for my wife. Anyway, um, basically no time for comments now. But we'll do one or two. Let's see. Why doesn't Spike Lee ever mention that his ancestors sold his ancestors, sold his ancestors into worldwide slavery? Well, that, that is one of the facts about slavery that never seems to get mentioned. That, that should get, be mentioned, not because it's a, uh, you know, whataboutism or anything, but because we are, if, if you're going to teach about slavery, as I'm always arguing, that's great. We should teach about that because it's a, it's a historical fact, but we need to teach the whole history of slavery. Um, Mike says, the reason they don't want this taught, slavery taught, is their ancestors faced worse in their lifetime and became better and more accomplished than what's happening today. That is an interesting angle. It's like, why are people so upset, as we've been discussing this, this, this one single item in the Florida curriculum on slavery? You know, they, they, they teach like 200 things about slavery. One of the things that they teach is that some of the slaves were able to utilize skills that they learned in slavery to, for their own betterment and for their own uh, personal advancement after being freed. And it's like, why is that so offensive to you? Isn't that, isn't that a great story? Isn't that a great origin story for a successful person? That even in great trial and tribulation, they were able to find something in it that they later benefited from. That's the kind of thing that we usually celebrate in a, in a person. Why is that so offensive? And I think the main reason is that everyone's pretending because they want to take a shot at DeSantis. A secondary reason might be what you're saying. It's like to point out that there were, that there were slaves who, who, who managed to, after slavery, to succeed and, you know, um, and have, a, you know, and, and go out and, and live a life and find a life for themselves. Even ex-slaves were able to do that. And yet you've got modern people sitting around 
making excuses or why they're oppressed. Maybe it makes them feel inferior by comparison. So that might be it. Um, and finally, Perfect Storm says, I can just imagine what people outside Matt's hotel door are thinking. The cleaning ladies must be going, el gringo esta loca. Uh, yeah, I think about that every time we're on the road traveling and I'm, and I'm ranting, and, you know, and it's, the walls are not super uh, thick in a hotel room. So like everyone around us can hear. And I guess from their perspective, unless they know, unless they understand, unless they hear and they, oh, that's the Matt Wall show filming right next to us. Uh, most of the time though, they think like this guy has just been going on. Who is he talking to for an hour about all these subjects? That's kind of like what happened to my family in the car. If you want some positive news in the culture war, since Roe v. Wade was overturned, the left has lost their minds, making abortion their official sacrament. The pro-life efforts, which are more important now than ever, are booming. You heard that right. Despite the narrative, pro-lifers didn't go away. In fact, they have increased in numbers. As one of the largest pro-life organizations in the world, no one is in a better position than 40 Days for Life to end abortion in each state in a post-Roe America. 40 Days for Life is changing hearts and minds in the most blue pro-abortion states. They've had a record number of locations since Roe was overturned, and they grew in both volunteers and locations. With about 1 million volunteers in 1,500 cities, they hold peaceful vigils outside abortion facilities. You can help them fight the ongoing legal battles by protecting free speech for their volunteers by giving a tax-deductible gift of any amount at 40daysforlife.com. That's 40daysforlife.com. Also, sick of woke corporations dragging your values through the mud? You can wash your hands of it all with Jeremy's brand new hand soap which I hold in my hand. If you're wondering what soap looks like, well, here it is. Jeremy's hand soap is the perfect solution for every grit and grime. Not to mention it smells amazing as it's scented with green tea and citrus. I don't know what green tea smells like, but whatever, it smells good, I guess. Jeremy actually cares about you, so he didn't put any of that paraben crap in his hand soap. Not only is it paraben-free, but it's also free of sulfates, DEI, and ESG, for that matter. Plus, it's not tested on animals, which is so important to me. So important. And it's made right here in the USA. What more could you want from your hand soap than to get clean hands while keeping a clean conscience? So do yourself a favor and wash your hands of hypocritical leftists once and for all. Jeremy's hand soap is the ideal addition to your bathroom or kitchen sink as you liberate your home from the influence of woke companies. Go to jeremysrazors.com and order your green tea and citrus hand soap today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. One of my long-standing complaints about the Christian entertainment scene, Christian music, Christian films, etc., is that they often put message far ahead of quality. As long as they get the point across, as long as the content is, uh, is promoting the Christian faith, then they aren't concerned with, it, with its artistic merits. The audience for this content also adopts this attitude, often describing a Christian movie or hit Christian song as great, without stipulating that the greatness is found in the message. But the vessel for that message is oftentimes corny, lame, cliched, trite, if not downright amateurish and embarrassing. Which means, of course, that it won't even succeed in the one objective that it has put before everything else, which is promoting the message. None of the people that you should want to reach with the message are going to endure the artistic mediocrity for long enough to absorb whatever message you're trying to get across to them. And so the whole thing's a waste of time. Fortunately, in recent years, Christian entertainment has started to improve. These complaints still pertain to probably 75% of it. But in that 25%, you'll find that faith-based art, um, you know, where there, there actually are uh, uh, Christians who are, who are creating real art that doesn't need to be graded on a curve. Now, we're still a long way from where we should be, but we're moving in the right direction, I think. In the meantime, the left is heading the opposite way. Very often now, it's the leftist who finds himself pretending that some preachy piece of woke entertainment is great on its artistic merits, when really, it's only great at checking all the progressive boxes. Bad Christian entertainment at least has a good message, even if it's a message that nobody but the already converted will ever hear. Bad leftist entertainment doesn't even have that redeeming quality. The message is garbage, and the vessel for the message is even worse. I would say that drag is perhaps the best example of this. Yes, drag is degenerate and morally depraved, especially when it's performed in front of children. But even aside from that, it's also just really bad. The drag queens are bad dancers, bad singers, bad comedians, bad performers. We've seen many viral videos of drag performances where children are being subjected to these sights and sounds, and conservatives rightly focus on the fact that the show is inappropriate for minors. But every time I see one of these videos, you know, after I make note of the fact that all the adults involved are child abusers who should be in prison, I can't help but also note just how bad the performance is on artistic grounds. 
So we always ask, why would anyone subject their children to that? And that's a very important question, the most important one. But an interesting secondary question is, why would any adult subject themselves to that? Why would you want to watch a man in makeup prance around awkwardly on stage and lip sync to a Lady Gaga song? The answer is that they go and watch, not because it's a good and worthwhile performance, but because it sends a message. And that brings us finally to a drag queen named Matthew Blake, who goes by the stage name Flamey Grant. And you should know that this pun represents the absolute peak of Blake's creative ingenuity and wit. That's as good as it gets. It's all downhill from there. Now, Blake, along with uh, being a drag queen, also fashioned himself a gospel musician. And the drag gospel shtick garnered him all the success you can imagine, which is none at all, until this past week when the top spot on the iTunes Christian Songs chart was briefly occupied by Flamey Grant with his song, Good Day. The performer's rise from obscurity to topping the charts and then falling back into obscurity again is explained by this report from Relevant Magazine, quote, there's a surprising new name at the top of the Christian music charts this week. Drag queen Flamey Grant's Bible Belt Baby has reached number one on the iTunes Christian and Gospel album chart 10 months after the album's release. Additionally, Grant's lead single, Good Day, peaked at number one. The surprise rise to the top is due in large part to the uh, Christian worship artist Sean Foyt after he criticized Derek Webb, former lead singer of Cadman's Call, for collaborating with Grant on Good Day. Quote, if you're wondering the end goal of the deconstruction movement in the church, then look no further than former worship leader Derek Webb's new collab with a drag queen, Foyt wrote. These are truly the last days. Grant responded to Foyt's complaint, writing, quote, end goal, baby, we're just getting started, along with a kissy face emoji. Over on Instagram, Grant shared the exchange and challenged followers to prove Foyt wrong. Quote, Sean Foyt thinks hardly anyone is interested in a worship song by a drag queen, Grant wrote. Good Day deserves a spot on the Christian music charts, don't you think? Within hours, the song and album had reached number one on iTunes, Christians, and gospel charts. Now, as of yesterday afternoon, it sat at number nine and falling, but uh, Mr. Flamey is taking this with all the humility you might anticipate from a man who appropriates womanhood for a living. On TikTok, he compared himself to a resurrected Christ. Listen. Well, it is day three of a drag queen sitting at the top of the Christian iTunes charts. But you know what? Even Jesus had Doubting Thomas. Some people will not believe it till they see it. So there you go, babe. Touch the nail-scarred hands. Wait, he's not even at the top of the charts in that video. I just noticed that. This is, the, this is proof that he's at the top of the charts, and he's not. He's number six there. So anyway. Uh, but nothing surprising there. Just some gratuitous blasphemy from a progressive, quote-unquote, Christian. These people try so hard to be shocking, but they just end up sounding like every other low IQ heretic who came before them. We're not impressed, Matthew. Neither is God. And you'll find out more about that later, I'm sure. But this story does give us the opportunity to reflect on something important. Uh, and for that, let me read a piece of the Paste Magazine article about all this. First, the article tells us how Blake was a worship leader for 22 years before he decided to start cross-dressing. Pretty soon, he was delivering sermons while dressed in drag and preaching about self-love and self-affirmation and so on. Eventually, he teamed up with Derek Webb for a song on Webb's album called The Jesus Hypothesis. And then we're told this, quote, The Jesus Hypothesis features a duet with Flamey Grant, Boys Will Be Girls, inspired by a friend coming out to Webb. In it, Flamey puts her makeup skills to use on Webb, transforming him into a drag, a drag queen in a church sanctuary. Flamey sings the last verse, quote, I heard Jesus loved and spent his life with those who were abandoned by proud and fearful men, so if a church won't celebrate and love you, they're believing lies that can't save you or them, because you're so beautiful by any name. And that right there is the crux of, quote unquote, progressive Christianity. Um, you're beautiful. You should be celebrated. Anyone, anyone who doesn't accept you is awful. You're the greatest. I listened to about 60 seconds of the uh, Good Day song that had its uh, 15 minutes of fame on the Christian charts. And it was enough to hear a line about how, quote, you are good in every way. You are good in every way, the song says. And by you, of course, the singer is talking to himself. Good in every way, beautiful in every way, special, amazing. Now, traditionally, a Christian song might have sentiments like this, but the you is directed at God. You might well find a line like, if a church won't celebrate or love you, they're believing lies, Except that, again, the you would be referring to God. In Flamey Grant's version of Christianity, churches exist not to celebrate and love God, but to celebrate and love him, Flamey Grant. 
Christianity is, uh, is meant to be uh, an ego-boosting affirmation machine, just as everything else in life, in Flamey's mind, is meant to be. God is supplanted by the individual, by the self. And all of the worship is directed at the new God, which is the self. But there's a problem. Aside from the obvious fact that it's heretical and the disciples of this false religion are walking a road to, da- to uh, damnation and destruction, aside from that, though not at all unrelated, is that it's also hollow. You're good, you're beautiful, you're special, you're above criticism. You should be accepted and affirmed all the time by everyone. Because why exactly? There's a reason these people have to continually insist that they're great and they feel great about themselves, because they don't believe it. They know it's empty. Now, it's true that we are all special in a certain sense because we're children of God created in his image, but that's not the hook that the progressive Christian, quote-unquote, Christian and always in quotes there, uh, air quotes, that's not the hook that he hangs his specialness on because seeing himself as a child of God means humbling himself before something and someone greater than himself. Moreover, it means admitting that he was made, that he was designed, that he was given an identity without his personal input or permission. It would mean that if God made him male, for example, then he simply is male, as God intended. And any attempt to change his divinely created identity would be an utterly futile act of blasphemy. But he can't face any of this, and so when he declares himself great and good and special, it's not because he sees himself as an obedient and grateful child of God. No, his sense of specialness is grounded in nothing but his own ego. His personal greatness is, is it's as solid and definable as a fart in the wind. He declares, himself, he declares, you know, I'm awesome and everyone should celebrate me. And we respond, why? And he answers, because I'm awesome and everyone should celebrate me. And we ask again, why? And he breaks down in tears, crying that he's being oppressed. Rinse and repeat over and over again. This is why, you know, progressive Christianity is dead Christianity. And dead Christianity is false Christianity. It is a miserable, useless husk of nothing. People come to faith because they feel a deep longing in their soul. They know that they alone are inadequate, that they need something, that something is missing. This false Christianity tells them that actually they don't need anything. They're already perfect and good in every way. Now, they might like the sound of that, Stick around for a while because they want to hear uh, more of these sweet nothings whispered in their ears. But ultimately, they'll find it pointless and unsatisfying. And then wander away as unfulfilled and clueless as they came. This is what you get from the flamey grants of the world. All of that and uh, bad puns. And that is why flamey grant, Matthew Blake that is, is today canceled. That'll do it for this portion of the show as we move over to the members block. Hope to see you there. If not, talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed. Did you know a baby's heartbeat uh, begins at just three weeks? At five weeks, you can hear it on an ultrasound. By six weeks, the baby's eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to move his or her hands. I'm telling you this because when a mother who is considering abortion is introduced to her child via ultrasound, when she hears the heartbeat for the first time, she's twice as likely to choose life. And that's how Preborn rescued 200 babies every day. They provide mothers with free ultrasounds so that they can meet the life that is growing inside them. Preborn needs our help to save these precious souls. For just 28 bucks, you can sponsor an ultrasound and save a life. And if you become a monthly sponsor, you'll receive stories and ultrasound pictures that uh, of the lives that you help save. All gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your donation goes towards saving babies. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or go to preborn.com slash Walsh. That's preborn.com slash Walsh.